So the problem is that if they look at their water demand, so the water consumption uh, throughout the year, that is actually dropping. And one of the reasons that they talked about was actually energy prices. And they said that weirdly that energy prices have more of an effect on water consumption than water prices. So, you know, if, if, if your water is too expensive, it's actually because your energy is too expensive because you're having a hot shower, you're using it for your dishwasher, mm-hmm. your washing machine. Welcome to the Urbanista, where we discuss the water management challenges of Nordic cities. From safe drinking water distribution and stormwater collection to building sustainable urban living environments. Here is your host, Delphine Vesalo. Hey, welcome back, Urbanistas. Today, today we are starting a new section here at the Urbanista in collaboration with GWI, Global Water Intelligence. We will go through the main events and news making the headlines in the water industry. What has been the discussion in the latest weeks or months? And what is the commentary about that? And precisely to illuminate us, with us today here at the Urbanista, we have Talula Lutkin, Utility Performance Editor at Global Water Intelligence. Hello, Talula. Yeah. Hi, Delphine. It's really nice to to be here and to be presenting the exciting news that we're hearing from the water industry uh, at the moment. So for those who have been following the Urbanista of Horstalula is already uh, an all all, uh, known face or voice if you are just uh, listening. But uh, yes, we have been already having um, quite interesting discussions uh, with her. But today we have uh, four pieces or maybe five. Let's see how it goes with the the time. We have four pieces of information that we consider that are the latest news that you, you working in a water utility, you um, being involved in the water management in all kinds of facets. These are the things that you should know. Absolutely. So if we start, Talula, um, there is some update on the European regulation, uh, some amendment to the Urban Wastewater Treatment Directive. So yeah, what, that's uh, right. yeah, there has been a lot of discussion in the European Parliament. So what happened? Yeah, so I feel like we've been talking about the Urban um, Wastewater Treatment Directive for a while, but this specific amendment that happened uh, this last month is to the um, polluter pays clause. So that's this question of uh, all these micropollutants that we have in the environment, pharmaceuticals, um, forever chemicals, microplastics, who's going to pay to clean that up? Um, And initially, the Urban Wastewater Treatment Directive had a 100% uh, polluter pays clause, right? So the, 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 the companies, the pharmaceutical companies, the chemical companies, who are producing these chemicals, we're going to pay for the cleanup. Um, and now that has been scaled back. So obviously we are imagining intense lobbying by the pharmaceutical and the cosmetic industry to reduce that to 80%. Um, so that still sounds like quite a lot, 80%. Um, but then that 20% uh, shortfall is going to be covered by national budgets. So the budgets of Italy, Spain, all the European countries are going to be paying for this um, uh, to, 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 you know, front the bill for the, for the cleaning up the micropollutants in, in our water. Um, and so according to, uh, our estimates, that's about 240 million, uh, euros per year that have to come out of the national budgets to pay for the micropollutant cleanup. Would that be any impact for the end consumer? I mean, the customers of the, of the utilities or how, how do you see the thing happening? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we say national budgets, right? But we all know that that means taxpayer, uh -huh. <laughs> um, and it could also mean um, could also mean ratepayer as well, right? So uh, there've been some uh, uh, organisations uh, uh, representing water utilities in Europe who have already said that there's going to be some impact for the ratepayer tariffs will have to go up to pay for this cleanup, um, uh, this twenty percent that that's now in the uh, in in the amendment. So it's not completely final because the Council of uh, the European Union still is supporting the one hundred percent. Um, so it could be amended again, but actually our sources um, think that that's not very likely that there probably is going to be this, this extra 20% that, like you say, the, the national budgets, i.e. the ratepayers, are probably going to have to front in, in some aspect. Well, let's, yeah, let's keep tuning on that because talking about uh, tariffs, we have, we have another note at the end, but yeah, we need to digest all these increases. All right, so um, that was the Urban Wastewater Treatment Directive. Next, and this is something I would like that you, you elaborate a bit more, uh, the leading utilities of the world. And actually, let's, let's frame this. Uh, in the last, uh, was it two weeks or three weeks? Uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it was in a Amsterdam, weeks ago, yeah. yeah, In Amsterdam, there were two main events that go hand in hand, the Amsterdam International Water Week, as well as the exhibition, the related exhibition, Aquatech. So two new utilities inaugurated into the leading utilities of the world. What is exactly, what does it mean to be a leading utility of the world? Yeah, it's a great question. So Leading Utilities of the World um, is the sister organization to GWI, and it what it really is, is a network of the most innovative and advanced utilities in the world. Um, so we really have members from all across the globe, uh, Singapore, obviously, uh, we have from Australia, Korea, all the way through Europe and North America. So it's really the, the top utilities that are, that, are, that are leading the way in innovation. And innovation doesn't necessarily mean technological innovation. It can, of course, it can be you know, using data, AI, it can be um, the, the new latest uh, wastewater treatment, but it can also mean you know, being innovative in the way that you handle your tariffs. It can be innovative in the way that you handle your community and your stakeholders. So it's really basically bringing together all those great ideas and the utilities that, that are fronting them um, and bringing them together so that they can discuss and share ideas and also share those ideas with the world and inspire the world with, uh, with what they're doing. So really leading the way, paving the way for others to, to follow. And we have, um, in this edition, we have two NSVA, I guess that's it, because it's from Sweden, Malmö, and Barwon Water from down there, down under, Victoria, Australia. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really interesting, the two utilities, um, so the latest members of leading utilities of the world that we're inaugurating inaugurated, like you said, during the Amsterdam International Water Week, um, which is really the kind of the one, one of the big events of the year for, for the water community. Um, so yeah, so two very opposing, uh, you know, uh, locations geographically, Sweden versus Australia. You can imagine their water resources are probably quite different. We know that Sweden's quite water rich. They don't really have so much of a water supply problem, whereas down in Australia, obviously, water scarcity is a huge issue. Um, but what we saw that's really interesting is that despite their differences, these utilities actually quite similar in the innovations that they presented. Um, they're relatively small, around sort of an average about 300,000 customers, which means that they're really good at engaging their stakeholders, engaging their community, and then leveraging that proximity that they have with their community, which as water utilities is really important to have that social capital and to be able to engage with your community. Um, and they're also doing loads of, of stuff on circular economy, which I'm really excited to tell you about as well. 
Actually, if I can just read, because this, this was particularly nice to see, uh, the case of uh, NSVA from Melmo, um, developing a new sewage system where food waste, gray water, and black water is separated, meaning the wastewater treatment plant can produce more recycled water, biogas, and nutrients. Talk about circularity. <laughs> I mean, exactly. this, this is a combination of many things, like looks really 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 appealing really promising actually yeah it's really positive and uh, what they've done is they've created this kind of showcase lab so it's called rico lab um, and it's a place where they can both test this this new idea of having source separated sewers um, and they can also showcase what they're doing to their community right so that's what i was saying about stakeholder engagement about bringing everyone around this idea and so yeah what they're doing is really really cool it's i think it's the largest source separated wastewater treatment plot in the world um, and so what they do is they uh they collect the gray water separately from the food waste so Separately from the black water, which they collect through a vacuum sewer, which sounds very cool. Um, and yeah, and so uh, and the fact that you have this source separation means that um, you can actually extract more of the resources that you that you then have, right? So you can extract more biogas from the black water. Um, you can recycle more of the of, of the grey water as well back into uh, drinking water standard, um, which is then can then be used for industrial purposes, for example. Um, and the food waste is also a really good way to increase the biogas production so there's a lot of research out there about co-digestion mm -hmm. so sewage sludge with food waste you get more uh, biogas more energy than if you just did the sewage sludge um, so yeah and also the fertilizer as well so they can extract all of that so they're really getting a lot out of that um, of that of that test facility it's really very exciting well, that that sounds i mean quite complicated but there, that's a lot of thing there and uh, the innovation coming from from down under i mean bar one water from uh from australia is not is not lagging behind uh this co-location to improve circularity mm, i like mm -hmm. okay first with hydrogen providing green energy and recycled water for producing green hydrogen and secondly green houses uh let me see i mean <laughs> am i understanding this correctly oh, okay yeah can you elaborate on this of course, yeah. So uh, I think this idea of co-location is really important. Um, it's this idea that a wastewater treatment plant um, used to be considered just a way of treating all the gross waste that we had. Mm -hmm. But now with trying what these utilities are doing is thinking of a wastewater treatment plant as actually a resource production facility, right? So a wastewater treatment plant can produce a lot of different things, namely energy, it can produce fertilizer, it can produce heat, it can produce obviously water, um, you know, clean, cleanish water. Um, and yeah, so all these things um, are things that other facilities, for example, a hydrogen plant could use. And so the uh, director of um, uh, Baron Water, who we inaugurated, uh, Sean Cummings, said he wants to have this new concept, which would be, uh, so we have green hydrogen, which is hydrogen produced through renewable electricity. Mm -hmm. And he would like to call it fluorescent green hydrogen, which would be hydrogen produced with green electricity from wastewater treatment plants and recycled water from wastewater treatment plants. Because obviously, what do you need to make hydrogen? You need water and energy. And those are two things that a wastewater treatment plant actually exactly. can provide. Fluorescent. Okay, there we go. So yeah. we have a new a new brand name patent there to be patented. <laughs> All right. Um, right. So more things coming. Actually, it seems that a lot of things happened in Amsterdam recently. More things coming from the, from the Amsterdam International Water Week. And this was particularly like appealing because yeah, to be honest also part of our our guys were were visiting there both the 
um, the, the Water Week and Aquatech. And this was precisely one of the things that when they, they came back to Finland and say, hey, look at this. This sounds super promising. Greenhouses powered by wastewater treatment plants. Yeah. Uh, what is this? Yeah, it's it's really exciting. And it's also something that I had um, not heard of. I'd heard of the hydrogen thing before. I'd not heard of the greenhouse um, uh, aspect. Um, but again, when you think about it, it just makes so much sense, right? So what does a greenhouse need? A greenhouse mm -hmm. needs energy. You need to be able to, you know, cool or heat, whether because some greenhouses are cooling and some greenhouses are heating. Um, so in any case, you're going to need energy to do that. You might need heat. Um, again, if you're a heating greenhouse, um, you're going to need fertilizer, obviously. Again, mm -hmm. that's something that um, wastewater treatment plant can very easily provide. Um, and you're going to need water as well. Um, so from the conversations that I've had, um, the the idea of using water from a wastewater treatment plant in a greenhouse is not to is not for irrigation, because obviously there are still those concerns. If the food is for human consumption there would be some some issues there but you're still going to need water um for example in your cooling system you know mm -hmm. you're going to have water circulating even if it's not necessarily for irrigation um so there's really just so many synergies there um with these greenhouses and the and what the resources that a wastewater treatment plant can provide. Um, so it's really very exciting. And I think it's all the more exciting that we're really seeing a lot of conversations about this water, food and energy nexus. Um, so COP28 is coming up and mm -hmm. the water day at COP28 is actually the water and food day. Um, so it's really interesting. And when we think about water and food, we obviously think about water scarcity. We think about irrigation, you know, how to, how do we do smart irrigation? How do we ensure that we're not, you know, using water intense agriculture in water scarce areas? But I think that this greenhouse, um, this new sort of greenhouse idea is really exciting because it's, it's about, um, you know, using technology and using smart technology and using the resources that we have in a wastewater treatment plant to also um, grow food and to enable us to be uh, food secure in the world. So it's, it's really exciting and it's a great idea that I thought came out of Amsterdam. Given that is, um, this idea is using wastewater and it's, it's getting close or closer to the human or to, yeah, to us, do you foresee that any type of regulation or pushback from, I don't know, legal point of view or any other point of view? Because, hey, wastewater, we know what is in there. Uh, mm -hmm. is getting too close yeah. to the people to the to the the food to the what we consume yeah for sure i think that you're right you've really put your finger on it and as much as people are excited about the prospects of this um i think that there could probably be a lot of pushback um from that side because again when you think about direct potable re reuse we have all this thing toilet to tap and people just get really icky about it um which is fair and it's the same for greenhouses if you're making food for human consumption then you don't necessarily want it to have any <laughs> anywhere near your wastewater um but i think that um and yes there could be some regulations there um but again i think there's a a lot of opportunities where you know the wastewater doesn't necessarily come close to the uh, greenhouses for example the energy that kind of thing that could definitely uh, still be used because that's really not really any direct contact um, and i think that again there's some stakeholder engagement to be done here and that's what we've been seeing with these utilities is that you know the more you talk to your community the more you explain that it is safe and there are ways to do this circularity without obviously you know upending health standards um, that's something that that we can do for sure and actually there's a good example um, in France recently in the last mm -hmm. few months 
Mm -hmm. uh, France loosened its reuse uh, regulations. So um, enabling, making it easier for uh, utilities to um, use recycled water for industrial purposes. Um, so I think that is something that, yes, there's a lot of barriers in society and we want those barriers to still be up because we still want to be protected, obviously, from a health perspective. Um, but as technology kind of advances, I think that society will also be more accepting of this idea of, of water reuse and water recycling um, from, from wastewater. At the end of the day, it's all about circularity. We already have been doing it with the stormwater, uh, harvesting stormwater for okay, mm -hmm. irrigation for other purposes that are not that close to humans. But hey, if we are really into circularity, well, sooner or later, we have to get to wastewater and, and the the source is there. I mean, the resource is there. What do we do with it? Exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that, that's it. You mentioned uh, uh, France. And is it next year? Yeah, 2024, when the Olympics will be in Paris, right? Mm -hmm. And precisely in uh, in Paris, getting ready for the Olympic Games, because, okay, on one hand, we have been listening, are the swimmers, the Olympic swimmers, really going to dive into the River Seine? <laughs> or or what's, what's going to happen? I mean, nobody's promising anything, of course, down there. But, uh, but yeah, we have some interesting news in these bathable rivers and the reuse. Exactly. Yeah. So um, uh, there was a representative of the city of Paris at the uh, Amsterdam International Water Week, and he was kind of there to say, yeah, we think we're going to make it. Um, and it was really interesting to see because um, obviously this, this, the Olympics has kind of been this catalyst um, for bathable rivers. But actually what he showed is that people used to swim in the Seine all the time back in the 19th century. It was kind of a normal thing to do. Um, and as obviously as industrialization progressed and health standards progressed, that didn't, that wasn't a thing anymore. Um, and now the fact that we are uh, reviving this idea of swimming in the Seine is, is really, I think, a positive for, for both for the livability of Paris as well. We were talking about uh, earlier about droughts, about you know about about cities not necessarily becoming nice places to live, like, nice places to live during heat waves, and so that's something that, that really improves that. Um, but yeah, but it's all been driven by the uh, the plan to. I think it's a triathlon event for sure, maybe some mm -hmm. other events as well during the Paris Olympics to be done in the same. Um, and what Paris is saying is that. It's basically possible. I think it's possible 90 to 95% of the time. The only problem is if it rains. If it rains, if there's kind of a big storm before the Olympic event, then <laughs> I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. And I think that Paris have accepted that it's going to be very, very difficult to reach that point where the river will be 100% bathable all the time, even if there's just been a storm. Um, but actually, they're quite happy with the point that they've reached, which is it's it's bathable most of the time it's safe most of the time and in summer you're unlikely to have a storm and so they're hoping that that that's going to be possible and whether it, they really hit the milestone or this milestone of making it uh, uh, bathable during the olympics okay that would mm -hmm. be great but even if they may not or they don't uh, and i guess that's the right direction so for the future for the years to come uh, to come back to this, but what you mentioned at the beginning of the or last century or two centuries ago, that was just a normal practice in in, in the in the city, and they, well, good that we are we are going back to this, uh, yeah, to this practice, um, yeah. just jumping into natural source of water, and 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 enjoying it as uh, well. 
now here around the Nordics, we already have a nice white layer everywhere. And very soon the, the, the sea will freeze. So we will not be able to jump into the sea. And, well, we can anyway. Yes, we do a hole and that's yeah. it. But that's... Yeah, uh, that, that's the... the ice and you go no, no, and, yeah, that... and then you jump in the lake, right? <laughs> well, well, someday you have to go to Finland and you have to try. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's quite an experience. I can assure you that it's quite an experience. Pleasure, yeah. <laughs> uh, either you will love it or you will hate it. There's no middle ground. Something to tick off the bucket list though, right? You've got to try it once in there your you life. Go. So for anyone, yeah, just, yeah, you need to come to Finland and do that. All right. Um, right. Following, um, there is um, a lot of discussion on the impact on climate change yes heat waves droughts happening all around all, all over the um all over the, the world um, but what is the impact what comes to the uh, water consumption and uh, there's this concern from the european utilities about the water demand falling i mean they are less consumption but this this is kind of a tricky tricky thing to explain um, yeah, can you elaborate on this? What happens during the summer and how where this paradox happens? Yeah, it's it's a real dilemma for European utilities, and this was something that came out of the conversation. So I was talking about leading utilities of the world earlier, um, and when we had our leading utilities of the world workshop, which is when all these leaders come together, this was really the main focal point that they were worried about. So we had, um, no, in particular, the uh, the head of Berlin Vasta, so the utility mm -hmm. of Berlin, and also from Vittens, who are the biggest utility in the Netherlands, they had this concern. So the problem is um, that if they look at their water demand, so the water consumption um, uh, throughout the year, that is actually dropping. Um, and one of the reasons that they talked about was actually energy prices. And they said that, weirdly, that energy prices have more of an effect on water consumption than water prices. So, you know, if, if, if your water is too expensive, it's actually because your energy is too expensive because you're having a hot shower, you're using it for your dishwasher, your washing machine. So people will reduce their water consumption to lower their energy bill. Um, so that's something that's happened, particularly in the last few years, as we've seen, obviously, with the conflict in, in Ukraine, that's something that, that, that has kind of affected energy prices. So that's something that they're seeing. However, um, if they look at their peak um, consumption. So the, you know, when the, the, the consumption is the highest, that's usually during the summer, that is actually becoming higher. So their peak, their peak demand is actually going up. Um, and that's uh, due to tourism. So obviously people, you know, visit those cities in, 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 in the summer months and that drives up water demand. Um, but it's more than that. It's, it's also the heat waves, right? So in Europe, we're seeing more and more heat waves uh, during the summer in places that didn't necessarily used to have very many heat waves. I mean, I live in London. A heat wave here is like 25 degrees. <laughs> oh, wow. um, but now, you know, in London, the last few years, we've seen 30, maybe 33 degrees, which is what, something that we're not used to. And so when these heat waves hit in cities, people respond by more water. So that's like having maybe two cold showers a day. That's maybe, uh, you know, in the streets, uh, the city will turn on the fountain so that people can cool down. Um, so there's a lot of actually increased water demand during the summer, which sounds a bit contradictory because the narrative that we hear during the summer is that, oh, you've got to, you know, there's a drought, so you've got to reduce your water demand. And there's all those images about dry riverbeds and mm -hmm. you've got to be really careful with your water. Um, but the reality is that people actually need water during during when it's hot, to, to cool down and, you know, comes back to the discussion about swimming in the Seine. You need that water when it's hot. And so the question is, how do utilities manage this? Because if their water demand across a year is falling, that means that they're getting less money because people are 
using less water, so they're paying less for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and But then they still need to invest to be able to ensure that they have enough supply during the summer months when it's really hot. So it's really a really thorny issue um, that these utilities are grappling with. It's at a moment when people are using less water, how do we you know, continue to invest and when we're being asked to invest more and more, right? It's not just about water supply. Utilities also having to invest for micropollutants, as we mentioned at the beginning, having to invest the in The normal maintenance for leakages and, and, and exactly. then the normal running the business, which doesn't, that doesn't stop, whether it's summer or winter. I mean, they need to keep going on. I mean, to keep, keep the kitchen working. So exactly. So there's a lot that, that utilities need to pay for um, and they're grappling with well, maybe we're not getting as much money as we used to. Um, so it's a really, really thorny issue. And it's and I think it's brought a lot of conversations about how to get creative um, about um, tariffs and about revenue and about how to how to continue to invest when, when the situation is not necessarily favorable. Well, quite a paradox there. And actually uh, talking about uh, economics or talking about money, so how much money are, are, are the utilities handling and how much money they need to invest? Talking about money, at the beginning, we uh, we spoke about um, the tariffs going up, and actually that is that is our our last story here. So in September, the Global Water Intelligence uh, published the annual its annual tariff survey, mm-hmm. and the tariffs saw a sharp eight point two percent in average increase across the world. The water is getting more expensive. Should we say more expensive or less cheap? <laughs> yes, that's a very good point. I think less cheap is definitely the right way to go. Um, you know, we consider, obviously we're biased in the water industry, but we think that water is too cheap. Um, when you look at how much, as I said, water utilities need to invest, how capital heavy water is, I mean, you know, um, you know, I can give the example from the UK. At the moment, people may have heard that the UK water industry is kind of, under fire, there's a lot of bad things going on and people are asking for change. Mm-hmm. Um, and the water utilities are going to be presenting their five-year plan, so kind of their five-year plan of what they're going to do. And it's record investment. They're saying we're going to invest a lot of money in the next five years. Um, and then they're saying but to do that, we need to increase their tariffs. And suddenly people are not very happy, <laughs> obviously, about tariffs increasing. But, you know, the water utilities need that money. Um, and it's really interesting. I think the tariff survey, we have been doing this for over 10 years now. So every every year, every summer, we collect the uh, tariffs for over 500 cities uh, across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, how much do people pay for water, wastewater and stormwater combined? Um, and the trend that we saw this year was really a sharp increase. So 8.2% uh, is the average increase worldwide. Um, that's really quite significant. Um, it's usually kind of around 4 to 5%. Is the sort this of- 8.2% is compared to the previous year? Yeah, so previous year uh, was around, I think, 6%, although I'd have to check that. Um, okay, well, but yeah. that's, that, 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 this spike came during the last, during the last year. And yes, uh, if I don't know if you remember year. the numbers, but you mentioned um, uh, at least during the past 10 years has been consistently increasing. Yes. Uh, yeah. Having all the 10 years increasing and this particular from last year to this is when we have this, this peak. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is, I think it's the second highest peak we've had in the last 10 years is this 8%. Um, and what's significant about this is actually it's, it's interesting because um, Obviously, it's due to inflation. So we're having big inflation mechanisms at the moment. Um, And 
luckily for water utilities, the water utilities are actually able to justify bigger increases because of inflation, because, you know, people are seeing costs go up everywhere. So they kind of expect their, their tariffs to increase as well. Um, so there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of, you know, social maybe acceptance um, of, of increasing tariffs because people expect costs to go up, even though the water utilities do need to keep affordability. Um, you know, water, again, is seen mm -hmm. as a human right. So the affordability question is really quite um, a big one and it's very political. Um, um, but yeah, but inflation is enabling utilities to increase their tariffs. Uh, and uh, they need to keep up, particularly with energy prices, because we know that one of the biggest costs for utility operations is energy. So as energy prices go up, utilities need to keep pushing, water utilities need to keep pushing their tariffs up as well. Um, and yeah, we've seen a lot of utilities also come out of stagnation. So something that we see with the tariff survey is that there are a few places where utilities will go up or utility tariffs will go up every year, but mostly they'll just stay the same and a lot of places just won't change. Um, and we've seen this year a lot of places that have not increased their tariffs for a long time suddenly having a big jump because it's necessary because they've got to the point where they just can't it's delay. It's not the sustainable increase. anymore. Exactly. Let, let alone because uh, the one of the things here would be uh, the investment on new infrastructure or actually just to reno renovate what they have what they have a current exactly. the, uh, the yeah. current assets that they have so this increase are we seeing it as this just catching up to keep afloat let yeah. let's forget for a moment or for some time the investments or or is it is it that I think it depends where in the world, right? So uh, in North America, for example, so in the US in particular, um, it is capital investment, which is encouraging. And there's been a lot of um, help for, you know, water utilities on infrastructure. We've had the infrastructure bill, uh, utilities being encouraged um, for that. So in, in the US, there is uh, the tariffs are going up um, to invest in infrastructure. However, it's more to fix and maintain aging infrastructure than mm -hmm. it is to new infrastructure um, but it's still capital investment um, in the sort of I guess uh, in Asia and in South America it is about service expansion um, so it's really getting to uh, cover the whole of the city right so in those places you might only maybe 60-70% of the population is covered with water and wastewater services so the main reason for increasing tariffs mm -hmm. is to expand um, that service that, that service um, that you're providing And in Europe, sadly, <laughs> or I don't know, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it means that our infrastructure in Europe is doing well. Um, in Europe, it's more about operations. So people, uh, utilities are increasing their tariffs to cover the costs, as I said, of energy, which is increasing to cover the costs of, um, uh, you know, new treatment systems, uh, which may be more expensive to treat micropollutants, um, that kind of thing. So it really depends where you look in the world. And um, it depends, again, on the energy prices. I think that Europe has been the most affected by the rise in energy prices, which is why their rise in water tariffs is more to cover the operational cost. Um, so, yeah. So there you go. I mean, everything is, uh, many of these things are, are connected overall, this, uh, the energy crisis, as you said, um, mm -hmm. yeah, directly impacting. And this, uh, this conversation about the water being too cheap or too expensive, depending on how, how you want to, mm -hmm. to see it, uh, this has been, yeah already for a long time and if you want to check i believe it was episode one or episode two when we were discussing with with Ilariajo back in copenhagen at the international water association 
a conference um, in 2022, was it? Yeah, September 2022. That was already a hot topic going around. And I remember one of the things is, okay, we may be paying too few, but maybe we want to keep it like that because in the long term may have a, not just a cost in the sense of money, a social cost. If we were making the people to pay what for what really the water cost, what can be the social impact? How many people may, well, inadvertently, well, be left out? Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if that would be the case in Europe, but at large, that was the conversation. What is the social impact of really increasing the, 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 the cost of the water? Exactly. And I think it's, it's a really, really difficult issue for sure. And, you know, water is when we look at SDGs, SDGs water is just fundamental, not just to SDG 6, which is the water SDG, yep, but yep. everything else. You know, when we talk about health, poverty, um, climate, water is just associated with everything. And so how do you, like you say, keep water affordable so that the people, you know, can continue to develop, um, but also having enough money to to have that investment to create that infrastructure in, in the first place. Um, it's really interesting. I mean, a, a, an example from California, which will maybe found absolutely crazy to your European listeners. Um, you know, a lot of, in Europe, you have a lot of social tariffs, right? So mm-hmm. it's cheaper for some people who can't afford water. In California, that's illegal. And so the water utility in LA, I think, has been sued by for trying to implement a social tariff because you can't, you know, use water from other rate money from other ratepayers to pay other ratepayers, right? So you've got to have a equity between the rate, yeah. the equality between the, the ratepayers. So yeah, so that's kind of a crazy thing. They're not allowed to do affordability tariffs, <laughs> which I don't think we'd see that in Europe, but it just goes to show how difficult this affordability question is and and you know what do you do with people's money and how do you invest it? Um, and how do you still continue to be compliant with all these different regulations that are that are coming up. Really complex, complex issue, and as you said, depending where you are in the world, the well, there are um, legal circumstances, there are so different social circumstances. Absolutely, quite exactly. complex, quite complex. So I guess and one more idea yes. that I, uh, sorry, one more idea I wanted to bring yeah, up yeah. on this because I think it's really interesting. So our, um, one of our Australian utilities that we inaugurated in le- uh, leading utilities of the world, as I said, uh, Bar and Water mm-hmm. in Amsterdam. Um, so they, what they're trying to do, so we were talking about the value of wastewater, right? So the resources that you can get from your wastewater. And um, they are trying to put a monetary value on that. So what if I, as a water utility, can produce some fertilizer and then I can sell it and then I can get revenue from that. And that revenue will enable me to continue to invest and not have to increase my tariffs as much. So I think that's another idea. Again, there are some regulations that does that don't enable that, right? So the Swedish utility that we inaugurated said, well, we can't do that. We're not allowed to make money from resources, right? But in Australia, they can do that. So, and that's what they're trying to do. And they're trying to look for the most high value resources. So I think he was saying that they can produce biochar and that biochar is then activated carbon, which can be used in sodium ion batteries that are then used for cars and that kind of thing. So, and that can actually be sold for quite a lot of money. So they're really looking to create that value from wastewater in the monetary sector. It, you know, it's actual revenue from wastewater. Um, so again, that's kind of another option. Thinking outside the box, outside of tariffs, how can you generate more revenue? And I think that wastewater is a really good, good way of, of looking at that. Yeah. Actually, creativity to improve circularity, creativity mm-hmm. to get new services, creativity to get um, uh, to reuse all this uh, 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 residual water. I mean, we don't stop for creativity. Sometimes the constraint comes from the legal framework. Uh, you mentioned, yes, I, I, we know, yeah, in, in, in the Nordics in Sweden, certainly they will not be allowed to do that. Um, 
I mean, there's, this is not, not criticism at all, but it's just different circumstances in different parts of the world. Some is more regulated, some more liberal, should we say. But hey, creativity, we can see that utilities are doing their best to, yeah, to bring innovations and hopefully they will be adopted widely. Um, yeah, exactly. all these I think that's that why it's really mentioned. important. That's why it's really important to share these ideas from around the world because, you know, the utilities can see what other utilities are doing, but maybe the regulators can see it as well and they can think, oh, maybe maybe we can change legislation or we can hope at least that maybe regulators will. Well, that may be a very, very long shot. <laughs> Uh, or, or they're not. I mean, I mean, who knows? Because yet uh, the regulations, um, different types of overall, everything that has to do with uh, environmental regulation that has been already going, I mean, moving swiftly, uh, as far as we know, in uh, Sweden, Denmark and Norway, Finland, it's a bit, it's a bit behind there catching up. But it is it is moving. Um, yeah. Maybe not as fast as we would like to or as fast as the society may demand. But hey, we are we, we are moving. Um, Right. So tell me that this has been a really nice conversation. We touched lots of things from innovation, from uh, all the insights that you got from the Amsterdam International uh, Water Week. Uh, we got specific examples, brilliant examples of uh, utilities being innovative. Monies, yeah, that is always a thing. Money is always a, a factor. Uh, tariffs increasing or not? Is it fair? Is it not? Is it too much? But hey, this has been really nice to have all this panorama of what has happened in the last uh, in the last weeks. All this information, I guess, it's well, of course, it's on Global uh, uh, Water Intelligence website where you can, of course, access to that. A very uh, um, reduced summary. We will push it. We will publish it on on our show notes. But um, yeah, so anything anything you want to add, Talula, to all this plethora of, of information that we reviewed today. No, yeah, you're right. We've covered a lot of ground. And uh, I just want to, you know, say well done to all the utilities and, and all the good work that, that, that everyone is doing and all the innovations that we're seeing. Um, you can check out all of our news on globalwaterintel.com. Um, that's where we get all our news. If you're more interested in a certain region or a certain uh, technology, you can find everything that we have there. So, uh, yeah, that was just a very small sample of the news that we've produced. You, you have, have actually, you have in, in, in Global Water in Intel.com, you have divided by, by geographies, right? Or America's yeah. Europe. So exactly. Yeah. Can... It's divided by region. So you can just go to the region. If you just want the Middle East, you can just have a look at the Middle East. If you're just interested in industrial water, you can just have a look at that as well. Um, and the tariff survey is also available uh, to, uh, there's a sample there and you can mm -hmm. also, um, you know, subscribe to get the whole tariff survey as well, which gives you a backlog of 10 years of tariffs from across the world and it's it's a great resource okay yeah great resource and numbers 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 something that we always mm -hmm. need to check thank you so much Tarula. and uh, well we will catch up yeah next time and uh, thank you very much urbanistas for listening and see you next time that's great thank you Duffin. thank you for listening to the urbanista podcast a production of uponor infra the leader in sustainable infrastructure solutions if you found it interesting, why don't you share it with your colleagues? We all together can move our industry forward.